0: Welcome to Markagy, the science of marketing strategy, a bi-weekly podcast where all the cool marketers discuss their favorite marketing strategies, study by study. On this show, we feature marketing risk takers who believe long-term wins for the customer equal long-term wins for the business too. How? Human-led marketing. The combination of where science, creativity, and strategy meet, or as we also like to call it, Markagy let's break down the marketing trends, myths, and methodologies together. I'm your host, Leanne weimer Let's go. On this episode, Dave will share with us how to stop destroying your brand through discounts and start creating long-term sustainability in your business. We'll discuss how to apply the three levels of strategy to do business and marketing better. And we'll talk about the powerful connection between your strategy and how you use marketing to fulfill your strategy, and how that results in better business outcomes. Let's dive in. Good morning. Joining me is Dave Wakeman, a podcast host, consultant, and expert in profits, not promises. Dave, I'm so excited to have you here today. Could you tell me more about how you fit into this whole marketing thing and and a little bit about your background?
1: Leanne, thank you so much for having me. I am completely jealous of all your graphics and all of your high production values. I feel like completely like I have got to up my game now. So I'm going to do my best <laughs> to add some value here. So a little about me. So like you said, I'm Dave. You can find me at DaveWakeman.com. My background is in really, it sounds really blowhardy, but I'm an American. So it works. In making money. I grew up in the South, in, in rural, rural Georgia. And early on, I realized that like the only way you get out of the South is by uh, being a salesperson, by finding a way to re- generate revenue and money. So my entire career has been around the idea of creating and capturing opportunities. And so that's through how I describe it as a strategy at three levels, and that's the top level of corporate strategy, the middle level of brand strategy, and the bottom level of marketing strategy. Over the years, I have been, I would say, incredibly f- fortunate or lucky. My friend Tony, though, tells me, he goes, there's something about all these things you've been involved in is that you have been involved in them. So I have stopped saying I'm lucky, but I have been very fortunate to work with some of the biggest brands in the world, Google, Yahoo. I worked for Paul Allen to help open the Experience Music Project in Seattle. Paul was one of the co-founders of Microsoft with Bill Gates. So that was pretty cool. I helped American Express, Yellowtail Wines, helped really like Get Yellowtail in, as a Yellowtail in America. That was pretty cool. I've helped reelect an American president. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff. So, my role in marketing is that I understand the connection between your strategy and how you use marketing to fulfill your strategy and the execution through the four P's and your tactics. So, product, price, place, and promotion. If you ask people anywhere in the world why they've heard of me, it'll probably be for the saying that in this article I wrote about seven or eight years ago. That's called Discounts are for Dummies. And it was really just talking about how much I hate discounts. It has been translated into seven or eight languages now. And it had really fueled my ability to speak on four continents and then probably like 15 or 20 different countries.
0: Love it. And, and especially on the, the discounts for dummies, huge believer in that. I definitely recall when like, Groupon was really big and trying to dissuade people from using it, especially small businesses. I'm like, this is not how you do this. So, I mean, you've listed off so many impressive projects there and in work that you've done, but you also mentioned about the three levels. And that was something yeah. that came out during our last conversation. And th- this idea that strategy is never over. So can we dive a little bit deeper into those?
1: So I guess I'll start by saying, talking about why strategy is never over and why I say that. And what I've found over the years is that most organizations don't have a strategy, right? I did research and actually came back, it was about 55% of businesses don't have a real strategy. Everybody says they do, but most <laughs> of those things are like tactics and they're like just uh, really spaghetti thrown against the wall to see what's done and what will stick. So most strategy becomes planning and planning is like, it makes people fear strategy because they feel like, Oh my gosh, we have to you know, commit to this long-term thing. Right. And we're going to plan and we're going to like do research. And we're going to do all these things and then at the end, we're going to come up with this book. And I'm sure you've probably heard the analogy of the book that collects dust on the the executive's bookshelf afterwards. But that's really what happens in far too many places. Most of the time, it's not a book now. It's just a file that never gets opened on somebody's computer again. But most planning is procrastination. And so people attack strategy like it's going to be like there's some kind of outcome. But really, Strategy is just a way for you to focus your thinking, right? I've spent my entire professional career, when I realized what strategy was, focusing on simplifying it, right? And so the ultimate level strategy at three ways and why it's never done is because it's just a series of choices. And I I use a framework in my uh, workshops called uh, CFA, so Choice, Focus, and Action. And what we want to do is we want to know where we're going, right? We want to have an ambition for our organization. We want to make a decision about what that's going to look like. So what will success look like if we are successful in achieving our goals? Then we need to focus on that. And focus comes in two forms. It comes in the form of understanding what market we're participating in, like who is our buyer? And then it it becomes part of the choice that people are going to make. Why are they going to pick us over somebody else? Value proposition. And then we take action, right? And we need two things to take action. We need to know what actions we're going to take and what resources we need to be successful. That never ends because the the market's dynamic, right? There is this term that maybe you're familiar with, maybe your audience is familiar with called VUCA. You know, so volatile, uncertain. Oh, shoot. Now I'm on the spot. (laughs) uh, uh, Complex and ambiguous. There it is. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Even I get lucky first thing in the morning. This is great. And so VUCA has become this kind of throwaway thing in strategy where everybody's like going, oh, you know, well, this is a VUCA environment. I don't need strategy to, to, because I can't plan for anything. And it actually, it's always been uncertain. Business has always been volatile. It's always been complex, and it's always been kind of ambiguous. That's no excuse for not doing strategy. Strategy is never done because you're kind of constantly seeing the environment change. When you take actions, there's going to be reactions from your alternatives and the competition in the market right? Your customers are going to react a certain way. It's a never changing thing. Strategy is a set of choices. Know what success looks like, know who we're going to target, what our position is in the market, what actions are we going to take and what resources do we need to take to be successful? It's never done because you kind of have to always be revisiting those choices.
0: I love it. Like, yeah, I mean, I think we can all relate to strategy. And, you know, especially in this digital area of like, being a living breathing evolving iterating way of business life i guess you could call it but but also life because the things that we see translating in our personal lives and our business life really aren't that different you know you mentioned that you realized at some point in your life that you wanted to focus on driving revenues that's a strategy that's that that was your strategy to move around the US And so, when you shared this really amazing analogy of the kind of the the levels, like with like an airplane, the airplane airplane analogy, space jet analogy, there's so many ways we could describe it. The flight
1: analogy, I think it was. I don't know transportation. I haven't come up with a name for it.
0: (laughs) We got to brand it. (laughs) That's exactly right. I should know. Dave strategy. Dave Jet One (laughs) Thousand.
1: Yeah. So I guess, so then your question was like, let me describe that for everybody because it's clumsy, right? Like I told you it was clumsy, but I think it sticks with people. And so it's at the top level, right? Imagine you are a satellite. That's your corporate strategy because you're going really fast, right? Orbiting the earth. You don't have a chance to really focus on any one particular aspect of your organization or your business or the market at any one time because you're juggling all kinds of different things. At the second level, like, right, maybe the little Concorde, supersonic airlines might be your brand because you're still juggling quite a bit of things, but you're able to get a little closer. You're able to slow down just a bit. You're able to understand the market just a little bit better. And then maybe you have a, um, your marketing strategy would be consistent with maybe skydiving, right? So you have a big territory. You're not exactly sure where you're going to land, but you're going to want to, you, you can get make out everything a little bit more clearly. You have a little bit more control because you have those little, you know, those little pulleys that guide you and everything. And then my favorite part of the analogy is like, your tactics are like, driving around LA at rush hour with no GPS, you know, and no map. And you don't know where you are. And you're just kind of like wandering around, hoping you're going to get in the right direction, but being willing to change your mind and adjust depending on the situation on the ground.
0: I love it. And And I especially, you know, as you were describing it again, Thinking about how the skydiving connects one thing from the other. You start at the, the top and then you find your way down. You're always going to end up down. You have no choice yeah. there. It's going to go that yeah. direction, but right. you're connecting them. And so what are some, some ways that this was, has been applicable like in real life scenarios that, that you've seen play out?
1: Okay. So how has this framework worked in real life? I guess I, I, I'll start by using myself, and that and that, and it's not necessarily a dodge. That just gives me a chance to formulate the story <laughs> so it makes sense for you. But I'll start with me because I think it's really instructive. Because if you've got to do a good job, you are your own best customer in a lot of cases, even though often you are your worst customer. But just with me, right? So we'll go back to my origin story in the in the deep south and understanding the importance and power of revenue generation. Right, that would be a strat- a big big level. It still is my you know my ambition. If you will, for people, it's like I want to help people understand how to create and capture opportunities. you know, so at the biggest level, everything I do is focused on that at a brand level, i you know we talked about profits, not promises, right? and it's the understanding that, hey, look, there's a lot of people who talk about a lot of things when it comes to marketing and sales and pricing and branding. Most of it's bullshit, if okay. I can say that on your on your show, yep, do. Uh, it's okay. yeah, it's nonsense, yeah, most of it's just like psychobabble nonsense, right. My brand is focused on something specific and it goes into those strategic choices, which is my position, right? So if I'm about profits, not promises, that has really cleared the lane for me because, in relative terms, if you're talking about me versus a lot of people, right? Who talks about profits? Not very many people, right? Most people are talking about, like, oh, you need a bigger brand because it's going to be good for your business. Oh, you're marketing because you got to like market to get attention for your business. You need to drive awareness. You got to get clicks and engagement. No. Everything you're doing with me is about profits, not promises. That's rel- you know, relative differentiation against most of the market. As marketer, I understand that like my biggest benefit, the way I get people to pay attention to me the most is speaking. So I do as many of these podcasts as I can, and I, I love to do them because I like. I learned so much. I've already got a page of notes from like everything that we've been talking about. I write a lot, so you get like the Business of Value newsletter or all the stuff that's on my website, DaveWakeman.com you know, I do my own podcast. I do a lot of networking, right? But not like in the sleazy, like, here's my business card, bro. Give me a call. Let's go ahead. <laughs> but like networking where it's like going, Hey, you know, Leanne, what, you know, how's everything going? Is there anything I can do to help you? Right. It's like, you know, you know or what, what are you, what, what's, what are you, are you, is there anything you're struggling with or jammed up on, you know, like offering real value to people? You know, and then I hope to get referrals, right? And and I've been fortunate that I do get referrals because I actively ask for them. And then I have been very good about hopefully giving people value for the money that they give me. (laughs) So then tactically that plays out through, you know, pricing, product, place, and promotion.
0: Yeah, and being on both sides of the fence, having been the person that was getting referrals for my own personal work, and then also being in a corporate position or as an employee for someone else, is that those... Types of strategies aren't very disconnected, right? There's never a business where you want to, well, okay, I rewind that. There's plenty of businesses where they just don't care if they do a good job and they do not care if they get referrals. But we're not talking about doing business badly. We're talking about how to do business better. But there's so to that extent, if you want to do business better, there's never one where, you know, refining your processes, thinking through things, whether verbally or orally, distributing content, asking mm-hmm. for more business, whether it's in a direct sales or a consultative or different mm-hmm. methods, and then doing a good job. So you get referrals and you provide value to people. Mm-hmm. Those are somewhat universal concepts in my mind. What's your take on that? Okay. So, that was a lot. Well, Fast. <laughs> that was a lot. That
1: was Okay. You see, you you try to trip me up, but you can't. (laughs) (laughs) So, referrals and doing business better. Okay. So, I think it's interesting because we are really at a uh, time in history, right? Which is really like I was saying before with VUCA, right? And that's uh, this idea of everything being volatile. The, The volatility in the natural environment just seems to be higher than any time I remember it, right? And I think that that's really been the case for. What are we in? At least the last 14 or 15 years, if not longer. I'm I'm sure it was bubbling up even before we had the financial crisis in 2008. But that seems to be a real clear divide, like a before and after moment. And it seems after uh, bro culture and hustle culture and all of these like really kind of repugnant ways of doing business came to be even more dominant than maybe they were in the past. Because I'm not naive enough to believe that there wasn't. That kind of stuff going on, right? Like right. we were talking about finance and some of the things that were going on in finance and, you know, banking and real estate before we started recording. So I'm not naive and I don't think that it's something new. I think it's just become overwhelming for people, right? You know, it's like the spam that you'll get on LinkedIn or like the way people like just spam you about everything. So that's business done wrong. And I think it's a, the fact that it's so prevalent and so common is really a sign of desperation right yeah. and so people are desperate to you know find a way to like thrive and to achieve success whatever success means to them and so what that has created is an environment where people do business wrong like you you know it, yeah uh,
0: and i mean some some spam is benign you know i've i've definitely seen plenty of small business owners that just don't understand that what they're doing is spamming and so there is that that level of sophistication but on a corporate level spam is not benign it's oh yeah
1: <laughs> well some of these the this a lot of the sa- what it, goes yeah. down is sales is just completely spam and then it's sold to these poor kids because most of the time it's it's kids at this point as like the way that they can make it they have to crush it right and they have to be phone crushers they have to be like always be closing. yeah yeah exactly it, it's all crazy and so i don't didn't want to dodge dodge your last question so what, how do i get to referrals right and i think it begins with your mindset right and you know it's easy for me to say that, right? because I mean i've been I've had my own business for gosh eight seventeen, eighteen years now, and then I had one before this, you know, and so much of it was my built on my personal relationships with people, and so much of it is you know was founded in those the foundation of like I'm going to give you really great value, I'm going to be a really great partner to you, and I am going to get you know be somebody you trust you know and, and so it's easy for me to say that because you know these businesses pretty date. Any of these challenges that people are really struggling with now, you know, but it begins with that mindset, right? You have to start at some point and say, like, look, no matter what happens, I'm not going to just like be a turn and burn operation. I'm not going to just like try to extract from people as fast as I can. I'm going to be a good partner. I am going to build a relationship with people and I am going to hopefully re- earn the opportunity to receive re- repeat business and referrals. It is not easy. I don't want to tell anybody that it is, you know, because it, it, you know it's not. It's competitive. The the world is competitive, right? And there's tons of people who can maybe do something similar to what we do, you know. So it it is all built on relationships, and it is built on a mindset. And you know, the more people can find themselves the space to be able to operate in a manner that makes them feel good about the way they do business, I think the better off we are. But I know it's I know it's really hard for a lot of people because they're just hoping to get that next project, and that can Make you do things you won't necessarily be proud of.
0: Yeah. There's also, you know, kind of sidestepping a little bit, but there's something you said about, you know, turn and burn or churn and burn. Yeah. And in my mind, this brings up this idea of long term sustainability. And, you know, that's something that really stuck out to me like 10 years ago and, and through grad school back in the distant past. But this, your business needs to exist for more than just today. And you yep. can get that short term win, but what does that do to your long term strategy? And I feel like this is echoed in your discounts are for dummies because mm-hmm. that short term win can totally infiltrate. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Maybe I need more coffee, but it can devalue. And I see your coffee cup. It's only as big as my head. You know, that's intentional. But the damage that that can do to long-term profits. And, and if we're really looking for profits and we're really looking for revenue, then and we're, we're really trying to, if you're a startup, make the most of your cash runway, or if you're a solopreneur, your savings, or maybe you don't have a savings, but you're really looking to be able to, to have that recurrent revenue, that ARR, then you can't really be too heavy on that, like, you know, take them and leave them type of approach.
1: Right. Yes. Or okay. Right. So, no, no. Okay. So, so you're you asked me a very complex question and you wanted a yes or no answer. So. I
0: know. Right. Like,
1: That's let's... all. but awesome. That's like something I might do. <laughs> Here's your life story. Yes or no. <laughs> so discount.
0: Ignore right? the, the VUCA, yeah. but the I just want thing. this black and white.
1: Yeah. The whole thing discount, but no discounts is really like, it, it is less than it from and he, him and Peter field did create this thing called the long and short of it but recently he was at one of the marketing effectiveness awards uh, shows in London i believe it was and he said discounts are the crack cocaine for mar- of marketers and i would agree i just wish i'm a little upset that he said it and i didn't get to beat him to it so uh, so let me credit less completely discounts destroy your brand though that's that's the the big the big key there is i do a lot of work in sports and ticketing there is a company that their whole sales pitch seems to be that like what Look, if we just get people in the door cheap, they're gonna see what the value is and they'll keep coming back. And I have, I said it, I say it again and again and again, I have never ever seen that work, right? And I have made, I was trying to calculate how many individual pricing decisions I had made throughout the course of my career and it's somewhere north of a million at this point because I was like heavily involved in individually pricing tickets and drinks and professional services and hospitality things. I have probably made a million pricing decisions. I've never seen this really work for the long term. And it's because, like you said, your brand has a life. right? And I think most marketers should have a definition of what brand means to them. And for me, it may be helpful for people to understand what my definition is, which is, to me, your brand is the accumulation of touches that you have with your market over time. And it's good or bad, because there can be good and bad ones. You need to know though that the good stuff adds up very, very slowly and the bad stuff will tear your brand down in a second. And the fastest way to tear your brand down and make yourself into a commodity is through discounts. So if you discount, you do price-based promotions, it destroys your brand equity as fast as anything that you can. Any other thing you can do. You could be like, You can see all these examples of people doing like making really bad like PR blunders or making really bad advertising mistakes. Those are still those actually end up having a positive impact, but a discount will. It is the most destructive thing you can do. So then, if you're thinking about profits, there's some really interesting numbers around how destructive discounts are to your to your profitability. So if you're able to raise your profits one percent, just one percent, right? So if you you know, let's say you're charging ten dollars and you instead can get your price to 1%. So $10.10, right? You will likely see about a 10% increase in your profitability, right? Because most people, and why is that? Well, most people don't understand the cost of goods and services. They haven't necessarily uh, charged based on value. You know, there's like a bunch of factors to go in here. On the flip side, if you discount 1%, I have seen research that says you'd lose somewhere between 10% and 40% from just 1% of discounting. And the, cha- the thing about it is, is that most of the time, the discounts eat up sales that would have happened anyway. So you're giving discounts to people who are already going to buy because you're panicking. You know, so it undermines your, your profitability. It undermines your brand. It undermines your customer loyalty because now people are waiting to see what kind of discount you'll give them next. right? So there's all these things. So if you're trying to build a brand for the long term, you have to hold on to that brand equity. right? So you have to pick, like we talked about at the start, position in the market. What are you going to be known for? What does success look like for you and your brand? You know, how do you want to show up? Are you a premium brand? Are you a discount, right? Are you somewhere in the middle? Right. And you have to stick to that. Right. Because if you start discounting, every all the hard work you're doing is going to get washed away very, very quickly. Unless that's your brand. At which point, good luck to you because the race to the bottom is only won by one business. And that business is usually a loser as well
0: right the race to the bottom was going through my head and and as you were saying this and what else stuck out to me was that the relation between how human psychology doesn't really change as much depending on where those humans are interacting right so a relationship is a relationship is a relationship is what i'm trying to say and so if me and person b are you know friends or we have some sort of you know Involvement in each other's personal lives, if they do something that is negative,
1: mm-hmm.
0: depending on how deep our relationship, how long it's been, how how frequent we see each other, that is going to be more powerful than a lot of the positives, right? Because mm-hmm. can, you can think of at least one person in your life that has done something, I hope that people have these boundaries that has done something where you're just like, you know what? I'm just not messing with that person anymore. I am not texting him back. I am, I need a cool off period or, you know, something like that. Or, you know, where, and and I've heard this quote from, you know, just interpersonal psychology, which is also, I I admit that it is I'm making something black and white where there's the nuances because socially people react differently just Mm -hmm. a little bit because mob theory and, and, you know, stuff like that. But it takes a significant amount more positive interactions to undo one bad. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that doesn't change for brands. And I think that more brands need to understand that, that that one bad, use my little air quotes for people mm-hmm. who are only listening, is very powerful. And whether it is a discount or it's like eroding your credibility by having a messy brand show up, right? because people don't know what to expect anymore. They're like, well, do I get version A or version B today? What do I get? And it sparks something inside them. So you're going to say something. I want I want yeah. to capture that thought.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you were saying, though, is like, when well, am I going to get version A or version B? But see, that's actually where people run into trouble as well because they expect that, like, as a marketer, you expect and you think that people care about your brand and they don't, they don't really (laughs) give a shit. They they could care less unless it's, you know, and the only instance that I really see this change is there's like some Apple fanboys, right? Like, you know, it's very small. Following people. Yeah, exactly. That happens with some, some brands. Right. But sports teams, right. Like those are the only places where people care outside of like when they're going to make the purchase that I've seen. It's like you have a, a favorite entertainer, You have a favorite team. You have a favorite, like kind of like entertainment option. Those are about the only times I've ever seen it work. Most of the time, nobody cares, right? So then, like, if you don't, if you have a sloppy brand, like you get an A or B. Really, what that does is that's just lessening the impact of anything you're doing, right? So it's not, it's not even uh, powerful enough to to like be seen as a negative. It just is like you lose the opportunity, right? And maybe what ends up happening is like people tune you out but like the, people just don't care and they care less if you don't know the story you're telling.
0: Right. And and I want to like put my little asterisk on this because as I'm hearing it said back to me, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about A and B testing. I'm not talking about <laughs> multivariate testing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like overarching big ones. So so just to clarify that, like I'm not an idiot. I do think that A and B testing right. is a very important thing. Well, can I can I, yeah. can I
1: jump on that because the A and B testing I think is great, it right? Yeah, exactly. But part of the thing, too, is like, I don't want people to confuse what you said about A and B testing, because it's very important that like on your short term sales activations, you are that's, A and B testing things. We so hit try, down at the bottom. It's not in the oh, jet. Yes.
0: It's not in the yeah. jet.
1: No, no, no. That's down <laughs> where my like, GPS is busted, right? We're talking about like when we're talking about this, we're talking about the big picture level, right? Like you can right. get one, two words into somebody's head, right? You know, so for me, it's profits, 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 profits. Right? <laughs> you know everything I come and do. I'm talking about how do you make money, right? I mean, you know, like so. You you when you're A and B testing, you shouldn't be A and B testing your brand stuff because it's no. going to be nearly impossible to judge whether or not it's working or not, especially in the short term. The only time you're going to really start to see the impact of your brand building efforts is over time. You'll see your business grow, right? And it t- usually takes like two or three years before you really start to see the impact. Or you'll see it if you don't invest in it, because then that stuff that you can A and B test, that last click attribution becomes less and less effective. And you see that happen, you know, in as early as six months in some cases. But, you know, around that time, about nine to 12 months, you'll start to see those things be less effective because you haven't done any branding to support the call to action that's in your A and, you know, you're in your activation.
0: Yeah, definitely. So it's very
1: important for people to understand that.
0: Right. And because I just, I always want to be like abundantly clear, like, you know, that when I say certain things, I mean, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to clarify because I could I easily see how that's misinterpreted. So it would be like, yeah. you, know, you know, VP of demand gen is like, well, oh, he's an idiot. No, but I'm, yeah. I am I mean, I no. have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. Probably, I probably I the VP to...
1: of demand generation is the idiot because they're, they're probably going, all that matters is what we're investing in the social. Right and like how we're doing, how we're generating those like instant sales, and like not paying attention to the brand at all. So at that point, you're the negligent one, not Leanne. <laughs> Leanne knows exactly what she's talking about. I. I, I but
0: for, that's the problem. for people this listening only. That, I visibly cringed at his what he said. I visibly cringed at only investing in social, not brand. Like very clearly that you have to in order to create true demand gen. Right, like. Okay. Yeah, you,
1: you, you have to. Uh, well, oh yeah. I'm not saying <laughs> you don't invest in your social media. I'm saying that it is one tool, and exactly. I'm saying that one of the big challenges that the marketers deal with is that there like are people out there who tell you that the only thing that matters is like social media or like you know things that you can measure the ROI on, and they're wrong. They're not just wrong because I'm saying they're wrong. They're wrong because the data does it back. Right. And yeah. you have to invest in both because if you don't have a brand, then you're a commodity. And if you're a commodity, then the only thing that's going to really matter is the price or the luck of the draw and where you place your ad. If you have a build a brand, it gives you pricing power, it gives you customer loyalty, it acts as a shorthand for people to make a decision. Right. All of these positive things. If you are a commodity, it becomes price and luck. That's what it is
0: right, but and there's there's like known established commodity products and services out there, right. and I want to be so optimistic and be like, But you can take these commodities and level them up and make them oh, yeah. better than a commodity. Absolutely. you can take them out of that commodification role in the world, and you can really start to 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 support something bigger and better and greater, right. Like I come from the school
1: though that says that you don't nothing has to be a commodity exactly right? that right. there's always a way that you can add value that you can increase the brand equity of a product or service you know that you can reposition yourself that you can niche down that you can do something that allows you to not be a commodity being a commodity is the worst business model you can possibly have.
0: Right. And and I think that if we look at any of these big – my mind goes to like foods because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, the first thing I thought was peanuts because I heard of this thing in the South where they put peanuts in their sodas. Yeah, and, absolutely so, true. Like, <laughs> and I've never tried that. But if you look at peanuts and you look at Mr. Peanut, who is a very well-known American brand character – and that the fact that when we say peanuts, we see like the little guy with his little see cane and his top hat, you it, it, it takes it even though peanuts are like a true commodity, like they are, they are, it, you couldn't tell what his peanuts taste like for somebody else's at the store, the generic peanut, if you will.
1: The Costco cashews are the most high-quality cashews. Yes, But no, this is true. They buy 80% of the the most high-quality. So it's not true. It's not actually like that true. There are differences, right? Like the farmers and growers. But if you didn't build Mr. Peanut, then you wouldn't know that, right? You would have no idea. And I don't even know if Mr. Peanut is the best peanut. I don't, but I just but know what I'm going to get.
0: <laughs> Same with like Coca-Cola or Pepsi or, you know, there's so many things. And in another place where we saw that this rise above the commodification is Chipotle, right? I remember doing a report about Chipotle in school when it was like only in California, only in the like this little like bubble of states in the West. And now like it's a known thing. Are you going to get guac? are you guac level? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, that, that's a, that's an important conversation to have is that you don't have to, people feel stuck. They are like, well, you know, my product is a commodity or my product, it, it, everybody could get it everywhere. And it's like, well, but that, that doesn't mean you have to do sucky marketing. Well,
1: you, I think if your point of view is that like, I'm just destined to be a commodity, then yeah I think you're, you're gonna you're be a commodity and, and a good story goes back to like when I started out in nightclubs and so this is a story i I tell pretty regularly but I'm going to tell a second part to this one this I, I love this story yeah this is a good one right the, 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 but the, I'm actually going to explain even further because we had we were in the nightclub and it was called trio and so our busy season was spring break because we were in fort Lauderdale near the beach and so everybody's trying to get kids to come to their clubs and their bars for spring break, because that's like when the business is, is popping, right? And so you'd all, all have any number of really like crazy ladies night programs or, you know, everybody drinks free programs. So we we went all in. Everybody drinks free every night. So and how we differentiated ourselves, though, was like well, at Trio, which is three clubs in one,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and, and so like the free drinks were going on everywhere because everybody could copy that. Right. But you couldn't copy it at a place that had three nightclubs in one. So dance, disco and rock. And, and you know, so even though it was all the same, well, rot gut, well vodka <laughs> that all the kids were drinking, we had differentiated ourselves through those brand codes that we had, you know, and that brand equity that we created by having three clubs in one. It was still that we were still buying the vodka from the same people at the same cost. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, you know, so that's one instance, but the most powerful way I learned about it, right, was that we had been tasked with increasing our check average a quarter. And this is the this is the story Leanne's uh, referencing here because this one's uh, taught me almost everything uh, like uh, such a valuable lesson that has stuck with me for 20 years since. And so I decided like what happens if I just ask people what kind of gin they prefer with their gin and tonic. And so what happened was I've discovered that people no one sees themselves as a well gin drinker, a well gin and tonic drinker. So when you're at the club, everybody has a preference. And what you realize was like, when some people see themselves as a Tanqueray and tonic drinker, and some people see themselves as a Bombay and tonic drinker. And now there's all these fancy things. I mean, I drink a Sipsmith when I have gin at home, you know, and that wasn't even a, a thing back in the days. And what that showed me though, was that like the cost of, to me, between a well gin and a premium gin was probably not even a nickel a drink, mm-hmm. but the story and the branding and the relative differentiation in people's mind allowed me to charge maybe a dollar, a dollar fifty more, right? So instead of a four dollar drink, I was able to charge a twenty, was that twenty five percent premium? Yeah. So to go to five dollars, and what was it five cent? You know, five cents. A lot. So I increased my profitability like a tremendous amount because the costs were basically the same still had the electricity of having a nightclub on, still had the same watered-down tonic water, the same crappy plastic cup, You know, still had to pay the bartenders and the barbacks and the managers and everybody the same thing. The only difference was that instead of drinking well drinks, they were drinking Tanqueray. And if you get somebody to drink two Tanquerays uh, or three Tanqueray tonics over three gin and tonics, then maybe you know, you made three extra dollars a night. And if you do that over the ten thousand people you have in the club each night, you make thirty thousand dollars a night, and at thirty thousand dollars over the course of six weeks, is one hundred eighty thousand dollars. And so, in the first year that we were doing this, or the first, even the first six months that we were doing it, it we ended up making us an extra three or four hundred thousand dollars. And so, and that's just from one question, which shows the power of brand because. All you had to do is, as soon as you presented people, with, like, well, do you want a gin and tonic or what gin do you prefer, then people have a, a choice. And most people say, be like, well, there's no, not really a lot of difference once you mix it with a mixer. That's not the point. The point of the brand is the, that it tells a story. And it's a shortcut for people to make a decision. And because people are making this decision, they are often willing to pay more because of the perception that for them and the perception that they want the story they want to tell the world. Yeah. And I, I think we got way off track on that one. No, but That's I love this
0: story. I love this story because it just shows so many key aspects of a strategy, right? It shows how branding influences. It shows how consumer insights and research matter. It shows that, you know, how to maximize sharing somebody's audience, right? Because at that point, you're sharing the audience of those brands. You're sharing the audience mm-hmm. of the tank yeah. tangerine. You're sharing, you know, we and you get even a halo like-
1: effect from them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and the and it didn't cost you more. Well, I mean, it cost you more to buy their product, but it didn't cost you in, in your, terms,
1: not really, though.
0: Yeah, it, and a reasonable amount more, we'll call it. Yeah, not absolutely. negligible, but not not a lot, not mm-hmm. enough to stop you for sure. And then you know, thinking about how this translates now, the specific case study, if you will, of you know beverages and in nightclubs is like right now really popular, you know. By the time this goes live, it won't be popular anymore. I hope, but there's this TikTok trend of like there's this audio about spaghetti with prosecco, and you know all of these all these bars and restaurants are suddenly having to have all these ingredients, and, and people are coming in and they're 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 trying it and they hate it, <laughs> but they, they, they keep trying it like like it's not stopping the the consumers' drive because yeah. something went viral on a social media and created that demand. And then, you know, if someone was going to ask them, like, okay, so what kind of this do you want with it? They're not going to say, oh, I just want the shitty one. Yeah. Right? No, they just asked for a drink by name that they've never heard of and they think they're fancy. They're going to ask for, like, no one's, the, another way to say this is no one's the Ursula in their own story. No one's like, man. I really do suck today. Like, I mean, you, there there are, and I apologize for you. I, I hope that you know your day gets better. But in the long term, we're not conditioned. We're not wired to think of ourselves as the bad guy. We're not wired. We, we have a bias towards our own positive self yeah. um, impression. And I keep taking things back to to psychology because the thing is, is that. When we're talking about strategies, not only do you need to under- do I think that marketers need to understand psychology? I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I think that there's a couple of things that marketers really need to hone in on is it's that that research that asking and engaging and having a dialogue with their your customers to find out those nuanced things mm-hmm. so you have to learn how to ask better questions mm-hmm. and you have to learn how people work right. and when you don't have and those two things I think are, as i'm talking to more people and, and really fleshing things out, you know, I think that those are some of the biggest impactors on whether or not your strategy is successful.
1: Let me take it a little step further because you, you, you highlight a very important idea, right? Which is like you need to understand the psychology and that can be used. You used it very well. Like you talked about it in, a, in combination with research and understanding people, right? A lot of times people talk about psychology and research and all these things in a way that like makes it seem manipulative. manipulative. Right. That's
0: not the goal. That's not no. the
1: goal. But the point I wanted to add was like, so when you talk about this research, because most of the time, if you're not careful, we hear this all too often, and it's wrong, again, which is about the research and the segmentation of your market. It needs to be based on like demographics or things that are easy to do. No, the psychology and the research is important because you need to understand the behaviors. And your segmentation should be done by behaviors, right? Because you're going to find out that like there's a lot more in common between Across demographics, as why people are making decisions, than you think there is, right? Because there's no, you know, like all 25 to 35 year olds do not act the same, no. right? Just like all 45 to 50, you know, 55 or 60 year olds do not act the same. There's a whole lot more complexity to the decision making process. And if you're going to be an effective marketer, then you need to understand that. And like Leanne just said, it's like going understand the psychology that drives people to make decisions, right? Like what's that story they tell themselves? Do the research, talk to people, find out what, you know, what's valuable, right? You know, I'm sure that like, you know, a 45 year old mother of a three-year-old and a 25 year old mother of a three-year-old probably ha- are like acting a lot similar than you would say just a 25 year old woman versus a 45 year old woman. And you would be And and most of the time they get separated like that as opposed to like what the big thing that's driving their behavior is that they have like a one-year-old, right? And that's, you know, and those things are important to understand because if not, you you make bad decisions.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in the parenting world, something that, that you learn when you have a child is just how segmented the mommy market is and that there's people with very, very tightly held Preferences about child rearing, <laughs> and for any moms out there, you're not always wrong. Despite what you're hearing, <laughs> you're you're doing things right. You're you're doing great. But that's a whole tangent. We'll we'll kind of gloss over. So you know, one of the things that I always like to ask, we've talked about a lot, and I I love our conversations, Dave. Like they're always like so exciting for me. Is there? who would be wrong like like and we've covered kind of <laughs> who would this be wrong for like who should do this right who and, and wrong. F- who, who, who? we start a list, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <got> a list. <laughs> oh man that was just i i opened it up you're, too far but you know we and we've got to get down
1: right now i've got a whole list for you
0: <laughs> tell me when you're ready <laughs> Okay, so so these strategies <laughs> that we've talked about today in this episode, who don't they apply to? We've talked about how they don't apply to people who want to race to the bottom. they don't mm-hmm. apply to, to people that are cool in the commodification zone we've talked to people we've talked about how it's for people that aren't necessarily interested in getting generating profits, whoever they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They are. <laughs> wrong. For? What? <laughs> this wrong for? <laughs> this is wrong for people that want to have their business open in two weeks. But you know, is there any like niches or niches? I always say it one of the two ways. Can you think of like a a set of people, a segment that like this just doesn't apply to or like a stage in a company's growth or you know a scenario of where this works and where this doesn't work?
1: So if you said types of organizations that this focus on just like profitability and return on investment wouldn't work for Then I would say like, you'd have to, you, you want to be careful about applying this to government and nonprofits.
0: Ooh. So,
1: you know, because like I think one of the challenges that we, we face as a society right now is that there's this nonsense idea that that government has to operate like a business. So that would be <laughs> one place where it would not work, but the same is for nonprofits because a lot of yeah. nonprofits I see have just become money churning machines. And they actually should be trying to fulfill their mission and put themselves out of business, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't happen. So I would say those two areas are where these things should not apply, but that would just be me. And then I would tell you, no, that would probably highlight my uh, tree hugging hippie.
0: But at the same time, you know, I think that's really, really insightful because what I've heard, I don't have direct experience is that in government, if you don't use it, you lose it with your budget. And that may be true. Yeah. And so like, I, I've never heard this directly. No one said this to me in a one-on-one conversation, so this is all conjecture. But you know that that makes sense. And there's definitely those nonprofits that you know are better known for fundraising and mm-hmm. less known for the actual benefits to society they've produced. And, and that's the nonprofits can be a wonderful way to support some much-needed of society's thing. Yeah. I am pro nonprofit. Oh, 100% pro 100%. Non-profit. So I don't want this misconstrued. Right. But there's also, you know, just like in any sector, there's those, those bad actors mm-hmm. that focus more on other things. And, and that's, that's kind of that, that fine line is that nonprofits should be trying to get themselves out of this, but they also have to be sustainable. They also have to fundraise. They also have to do marketing. And yeah. so it gets a little dicey there.
1: Well, I think part of that, the problem is, is the way that the fundraising is just set up. Right. right, and the the fundraising is set up in a way that the mission, it's, and it's not necessarily always the nonprofit's fault. It, it's just sort of the nature of the way that like fundraising consultants operate, or like the fundraising business itself operates. Right, it writing, this, like, all of it. Yeah, n- never-ending cycle of you. You never get a chance to really focus on the work as much as is needed, right? Because the work itself. Is infinitely rewarding. It's infinitely important in most cases, and you know it deserves funding, right? The the problem becomes is when you're like spending it's cut like eighty percent, ninety percent of your time and your money and your effort is just going to make sure that you have the the money to keep going. To me, that seems like a problem, right? Because then you can never actually make a dent in what you're what you're trying to achieve. And there are some very successful organizations that do a great job of raising money while at the same time having. Uh, Tremendous positive impact in the world. One of my favorite examples, and I've been fortunate enough to work with them in the past, is the EB Research Partnership. I'm based in New York, it's called Epidermidis Isis Paloma. It's a rare skin disease, and it's like kids. So if we have, I think it's seven layers of skin, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. uh, these kids have one or two, and it feels like they're on fire the whole time. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah,
1: it's a, it's a brutal disease. The guy who runs the thing is a guy called Michael Hund. Michael is an amazing nonprofit leader. Is started by a um, group of people, Alex and Jamie Silver, one other family, and Eddie and Joe Vetter, and you know, and they 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 have a venture philanthropy model where it's like they invest in these technologies and these uh, procedures that will help, and then they get a return so that like it's not like they're always stuck on the the, the fundraising treadmill. Mm-hmm. They get paid back through the the impact of their work, and so it allows them to help solve the issue. And they do, and it's a, a unique model, and and it works well, so they don't have to always be fundraising. I mean, it helps if you have Eddie Vedder as your founding board member. Right. But different story. Right.
0: The, the halo effect and the branding of Eddie Vedder, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Helps. Yeah.
1: So I love nonprofits. I just, I hate to see them be stuck to the profit motive because that's not what they're there for.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Who else is wrong? I got my list. Oh, man. Uh, I think that we might have to, to include the list at a, <laughs> in a part two. <laughs> but you know and i'm always
1: happy to come back leanne you know i appreciate what you're doing here so like i'm always happy to come
0: i i just love this conversation so much i'm like oh like i i know we have to wrap it up eventually but there's so many golden golden nuggets in this and gems like like this is a really really great conversation i'm afraid to open pandora's box here where do you think marketing is going looking forward, right, because we can look back at what's you know happening in this current environment with all this volatility and ambiguousness, and, and I've got my thoughts, but what are your thoughts today on where you think, as an industry, marketing is going, okay. that macro level view?
1: All right, let me, let me answer it with, with three points. So the challenge that marketing is trying to overcome is too much focus on tactics. Mm-hmm. Ta- uh, as Mark Ritson, we call it the tactification of marketing, and that's created a lot of problems because you know you you see this overwhelming focus on impressions and engagement and you know I think it drives a lot of the discounting and things like that. So that's the challenge that marketing is working to overcome. Two things that I think are if I were looking at the future and I would say I'm really enthusiastic as a marketer about this renewed emphasis on brand building. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen more articles about brand building, like Goldman Sachs talking about investing in their brand. A company called Vivid Seats in the secondary ticket market has spent a tremendous amount of money on brand building, focus on their brand. Pepsi, in their quarterly reports last week, when we're recording this, was talking about how their investments in their brand over two or three years have started to pay off, right? And how they're investing in you know all of their brands, not just the overall brand of Pepsi, you know, and how, how they're seeing growth from that. You know, so I, I'm hopeful that we'll see that because. The investment in brand leads to things like, you know, again, customer loyalty. It's a shortcut, helps people make decisions more easily. It gives you pricing power. You know, all those things are great for marketers. And for me, who's somebody who's talked about profitability, I applaud those things because that's great, except for the fact that I hope people don't get to it too quickly so that they continue to come to me. Right. The second part, though, is in the short term, I do think that some of these bad habits that people have picked up will stick around for a little bit longer. I don't think we're in danger of seeing people like make mad rushes out to like get as many impressions as possible in the short term. I do think we're probably still going to see far too heavy of a reliance on discounts. And I think that, you know, we're going to see people indiscriminately just like creating products as a way to drive uh, market share or growth when we know that like, Just creating profits cannibalizes successful profits, and a lot of times, you know, it's easy to create something that is, you know, and think it's doing a good job or that you're creating something valuable when you're not really doing it. So I think that we'll probably see that in the short term, but I'm really hopeful about that long term re uh, re attention and reinvestment in brand building.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's just so many fewer barriers to entry that you have to differentiate yourself and you have to do it clearly and early and often you know and i think it's it's really important to see the you can you can hear me thinking right now but there's a lot going on in the world with with the the quickness and the speed of these changes in the environment and the volatility and i think that to some extent that that's just going to become more background noise for for holding to a true brand strategy and and that that top level you know because if there's a fire drill every day who are you when there's not a fire drill and at some point you have to say you know what if our stuff is locked down and we are who we are and we are you know respectful and tasteful and we build relationships this doesn't need to change because today this thing changed you know in the environment or this thing happened You, you should you know be respectful of tragedies there's far too many tragedies and, you know, please be respectful of them. I'm not saying post, you know, your commercial during a news segment in which a tragedy is on air. Please yeah. refrain. No one wants to go to that restaurant, you know, that badly. It right. is not yeah. relevant. But you you do start to be like this is who we are. This is who we're going to be and this is our brand. And it evolves and it iterates, but yeah. it starts but That core needs to stay the same.
1: The core. Right you know because part of the part of the the real trouble that people encounter with their brands is that there's no through line, right? There's mm-hmm. no consistency, right? You know, you should I tell people you should do your research every year, right? And you should go back and segment your market, make sure you're targeting the right people, make sure your position still works, but the through line of your strategy, right? Who you are, what success looks like, you know, those that ambition, those brand codes, all of those things they, there needs to be some consistency there because they don't just happen in the short term, right? And within that, the, this through line with the brand codes and your ambition, there's great room to play, right? Like, so if there is a, a and an, you want to do some news jacking, right, or something, or if you need to respond to a news event or you need to tone something down because of a tragedy or, you know, some, whatever the case might be, there's still room to do that without losing the core. You have to have the core, right? Like, Again, I'm, I'm a good example, right? Profits, not promises. That I can go, I can go play all over the place with that. But the the core is like, going. What does this do to help you make more money, right? What does this do to help you be more profitable? You know, it, it, that's the key. Is like going. No matter what tactic you use, the strategy is there, right? right? The strategy is we're going to be, you know, we're going to be the best, you know, like Alabama. I went to the University of Alabama, well, the best football team in the country, right? They lost to Tennessee on Saturday, which sucks. But the thing is, is like, we're still focused on being the best team in the nation, right? You never lose sight of that, right? I'm always focused on profits, no matter what I'm, where I'm playing. It's going to be something about getting people more profitability, right? You know, and that, that should apply to every business yeah, definitely. or organization, even if you go back to the government and the nonprofits that we were talking about where this stuff doesn't work. That part does. Because branding is just as important for your country, right? Or like your institutions as it is for any other business.
0: Yes. Yes. Agree. And as you were talking, I, I think that there's also this understanding that that difference between the levels, right? Because if somebody is promising profits on that tactical GPS, mm-hmm. like we're turning right and this is going to get you a $1,000 level, that's wrong but if someone's there's plenty of tricks you can play yeah yeah Yeah. but that's that's where you start to get that's a red flag that's a red flag if if you have an like an seo person saying i'm going to get you five thousand dollars more per month like click here Mm, maybe don't (laughs) maybe don't maybe don't but but on this higher level of you know way up in the jet Focusing on profitability from that level and being able to funnel it down or fine tune it or whatever phrase you want to say to make it happen is completely different and and realistic. It takes work. It's not easy. It doesn't happen at the flip of a switch. Yeah. But and, unless things are just really, you know, there's always a the low hanging fruit. In which case, awesome yeah. to face. <laughs> but it, it does take time. It does take consistency, and it does take informed, strategic choices.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you have to be willing to say that I'm going to do some things and I'm not going to do others. Exactly. Because it's it's not so much about like what you will do. It's more about what you're not going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Because we all have, are so overwhelmed with the amount of things that we can do. It's what we're not going to let our attention go to that's most important, right? Because you have to be able to say, I get distracted, you know, get distracted by whatever new tool or new idea or new whatever is going on. You got to go like, look, this is my customer. This is why they're going to pick me. These are the actions that are going to get me there. I can't get distracted by this other stuff. And that's where people get jammed up because it's noisy out there. There's a lot of people. There's always people telling you like this new thing is this new bottle. It's going to fix everything, this Mm -hmm. new platform is going to solve all of your problems. And the truth is no. What's going to probably solve your problems is having an understanding of what direction I'm going in. What success is going to look like. Let me understand who my customer is. You know, who who am I targeting? What's my position in the market? How am I going to express that to people? What actions am I going to take and how, you know, what resources do I need to be successful? And you keep focusing on that. Cuz that may bring that new tool into the conversation, but it is not a requirement right unless right. it is for you and that's your decision to make not like some snazzy new social media marketing firm to tell you oh you got to do this or you're going to be because everybody's doing it
0: right and as always there's an asterisk there right there's an asterisk there if you are a company in you know a certain environment and you have not adapted to contemporary marketing and you're still doing marketing a, a certain way you might I, I, you might need to to update what platforms you're joining because like billions of people are using it. But you, the way that you do it is where there's always room. There's always that that white, and black, and grays. Because I can think of some some older organizations just off the top of my head that that probably should engage in some new social platforms that maybe they were neglecting because they 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 might want a younger younger audience base because. You gotta but see
1: that would probably though, that would go back to the strategy thing. We would have yeah. to know what their research looks like. Yeah. And who they're targeting. And I, what their position is because maybe And what don't. their
0: current problems are. Yeah. What is yeah. your current problem?
1: Yeah, because sometimes like you know, I do you know, I I agree, you know, my thing is, you know, you always wanna be in the, in the middle of this thing. But without knowing what, like, is this a conscious decision? It would be hard for me to say they absolutely should. Uh, right. But that's the, that's the big, but that's a big point because you want us to make sure you stay away from the absolutes, you know, yes. which is unsatisfying for people because everybody wants to, uh, <laughs> let me give you the one answer that's going to Here's work. Here's my
0: playbook. Just spend a yeah, thousand dollars there. and join my mastermind course. I promise. Exactly. Which work. I don't have a mastermind course,
1: <laughs> unfortunately, to sell you on. But yeah, you, you, you want to make sure that you have a process in place. And, and that's really the, the lesson I always try to get across to people is have a process so that you can make better decisions, right? So you have a shorthand yeah. so that you don't get overwhelmed by planning. You don't get overwhelmed by whatever is new and exciting in the moment, right? You have the, the, un, the ability to say, this is great, but it's not for me right now. This is awesome, and I should be doing this because this is going to help me reach these targets. And and that's really where, you you know, the big, if I can only get one point across, it'll be like, look, make sure you have a process in place for yourself. Because that process is not so much because the process is perfect. The process is there because it allows you to um, reset yourself effectively, right? So you can tell where you are, in, you know, in your strategy thinking, in your strategic thinking, or you can, you know, how often you need to revisit your process so that you make sure that you're not taking actions that have become stale and stagnant just because you've gotten comfortable doing them and you've become proficient at doing the wrong things because that happens. And, you know, and, yeah. and it that's really where my, you know, my encouragement for people comes in. I come to my mastermind class. It's only (laughs) $14.99.
0: All right. Dave Wakeman, processes, not playbooks, profits, not promises. I can't thank you enough for what an amazing discussion this has been. Um, We'll definitely have to do a part two soon. And absolutely. uh, And thank you again Um, for anyone who wants to get in touch with you. He's mentioned it a couple of times. Don't miss it. Dave, once again, what is the best way for someone to reach out to you?
1: All right. Let me give you a couple things then. So you can email me. It is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. You can also visit my website. That's DaveWakeman.com. And then there's a pop-up there where you can get my newsletter, Business of Value. Uh, there's a couple things I do. And if you just fill in that pop-up, blo- uh, pop-up box, uh, you will get all kinds of cool stuff for me because I put out like all kinds of like crazy stuff all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I read and write, which is how I figure out how to like not be a complete and total uh, numpy when I come on podcasts. So <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to everyone. This has been Mark G, a strategic marketing podcast bi-weekly. We share our ideas, our conversations and we can be found wherever podcasts are. Thank you again. Bye. You've been listening to MarketG, the science of marketing strategy. If any of the strategies we talked about today inspired you to learn more, try them. Remember, the perfect strategy doesn't exist. Only the one that gets done. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player to make sure that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time.